2: Goes to his reins towards the end
1: zone. It's caught. Touchdown on it. Steven Sims. And Washington back in front. A 20-9 win over the Bengals with a big injury in the game. A sad injury, actually. Um, but a result that keeps Washington very much in the hunt. And with a chance to play a game on Thanksgiving Day, That has meaning. Uh, I've mentioned this many times over the years. It's like, um, you know, I I, I recognize uh, what this uh, franchise is. Uh, the Super Bowl and deep into the playoffs seems like it's not necessarily been a possibility over the years, so what are you hoping for? Well, you know what? How about we get to Thanksgiving and we can play some games that matter? They're 3-7, and seven, uh, but on on Thursday at 4-30 they'll go to Dallas and play the Cowboys in a game where the winner will actually be in first place at 4-7. and seven. Now the Giants play on Sunday against the Bengals without Joe Burrow, and the Eagles play Monday night against Seattle, um, but 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 a win on Thanksgiving Day, and Washington's going to be legitimately in the hunt to win the division uh, the rest of the way. No Cooley today. Tommy will join me after my game take. Um, Cooley uh, will be with me tomorrow. You'll get his follow-up to the game, and you'll get uh, a film breakdown tomorrow. Um, But Tom's going to join me here today, and then that'll be it for Tom for the week because Thursday's Thanksgiving, so we won't have him on there. Um, Tommy will join me in not only um, giving his thoughts on the game after I give you mine here momentarily, but uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about what happened at 980 um, the other day, um, which was an acquisition and some layoffs of some very good friends of ours, and we'll do that uh, at the very end of the show.
0: And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash Bluewire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com/slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Pay attention. Here's Kevin's Game Day. All right, before I get to the list of things uh, that I liked and didn't like and a few other observations, big picture on this, um, I, I really felt like if they didn't win yesterday and on Thanksgiving Day that it was time to focus on 2021. But I'm not focused on 2021 right now. I don't think you should be either. I think the last five games, regardless of the opponents, which have hardly been you know a collection of um, difficult teams, it's hardly been murderer's row, Um, using that old expression. Um, They are you know two and three in their last five games, and the three losses are by a total of seven points. They play another team on Thanksgiving Day in the Cowboys that they can beat to get to four and seven. They're in a division that stinks. I think they should be playing these games, Um, and these games, I do think, uh, help them. Playing games late in the season that have meaning uh, in terms of the standings and in terms of a possible playoff berth I don't think is a bad thing, especially when most of your players are going to be a part of your program moving forward. And most of their players are young players on defense and offense, not a quarterback. Um, but most of these people are in the plans for 2021. So you might as well play as many games that matter at the end of the year as you can. I think I think that's something to build on. Were they overly impressive yesterday against a bad team? No, but I think there were reasons for that. And I think they were impressive enough. But, you know, I'm not sure what else you could ask for when you've had all the drama and all the craziness. Um, They're three and seven. They're not a good team. They won't be a good team this year. Okay. They're not going to be a good team this year. But the issue is whether or not they're good enough to have games that matter, to potentially make a playoff uh, this year, and to build on that for the years to come. And I think that opportunity exists. All right, let me get to the things I liked and and didn't like. I'm going to start with this. I liked Alex Smith again. Uh, Last week, I thought he was exceptional. Um, I think yesterday he was accurate all day, short and long stuff. I love that they took deep shots. I thought the early deep shot to McLaurin for 42 yards was a great throw um, and catch. Uh, He took another deep shot to Terry, where they could have called, I thought. I thought it was close to a potential P.I. penalty on Jackson, but they didn't. He drew a P.I. penalty on a deeper throw later in the game. The touchdown pass to Sims Jr., um, where he had to hold on to that ball for just an extra beat and then throw the perfect ball was a great throw. Uh, The RPO throw to McLaurin for 25 yards, excellent. He got away from an unblocked blitz on third and nine and got rid of the ball, threw it away before the field goal that made it 17 to nine in the third quarter. He's just so decisive and sure of what he's seeing right now. You know, he made a third and two throw to McKissick out of the backfield that was perfectly led so that McKissick could not only catch it, but make a 12 yard play. He knew where it would be open on third and two and went to it. Um I thought one of the throws that he'd like to have back maybe was a third and 4 to Sims Jr that may have been just a little bit off and Sims Jr didn't catch it necessarily in stride he got 3 yards you know obviously the interception was a deflection off that uh dude Marcus Hunt who's 6 foot 8 he was 17 of 25 for 166 yards with one touchdown and one in that deflected interception. Those are hardly, like, you know, gaudy numbers. Um, but they didn't really have the ball that much in the first half. But I just thought he was solid all day long. And his, his overall story just keeps getting better because there is no doubt about one thing. Um, he's back you know, he's back and capable of being a starting NFL quarterback. Now, where you'd put him on the list of starting quarterbacks, not super high, obviously, not top half of the league more likely than not, but his knowledge, um, and I think the benefit that he has right now playing in a system with a play caller that suits him well in Scott Turner with, to be honest with you, better weapons than any of us thought before the season started surrounding him, I think he's been good. I'm shocked by it. Most of you know where I was two and a half, three weeks ago. I thought they should have waived him. I thought we were going to see something maybe not totally equaling the second half of the Rams game, but something that would never be nearly good enough. And I didn't want to see him exposed like he was in that Rams game. But the coaches knew. They knew better. You know, Yesterday was his first win, nearly two years to the date of the injury that came on the weekend before Thanksgiving 2018. Um, he's played well the last two and a half games. He faces on Thursday against the Cowboys a faster defense than the ones they faced the last few weeks. Dallas won't look statistically like a great defense, and they're not a great defense, but they do have speed and their front seven, and they'll come after him on Thursday. It'll be interesting to see what kind of game plan Turner comes up with and how Alex plays against a team that will really get after him, I think, a little bit more than the teams here over the last couple of weeks. And then it's Pittsburgh after that, um, the best defense you could argue in football. On the list of things that I liked, Alex Smith kicks off that list. And then I moved to, they ran the football, especially in the second half. Antonio Gibson, 16 carries, 94 yards. His last two carries were for like minus seven yards. So it was actually 14 for over 100. Before they, you know, really took their pedal uh, off the, uh, took their foot off the gas pedal. J.D. McKissick six carries, forty three yards. Peyton Barber eight carries, twenty eight yards. In total, they were thirty four carries for a buck sixty four, four point eight yards per carry. One hundred and seventeen of the of the one sixty four coming in the second half of that game. I thought Gibson ran with better vision yesterday. Still not always great but tremendous after-contact power. He is deceptively strong. I love that about Gibson. He's a big dude. He runs hard. He runs with a unique sort of laid-back style, but he's powerful. He had runs in the game of 19 yards, 16 yards, 16 yards, and 13 yards. That's really good. McKissick averaged over seven yards per carry running the football was a big part of the second half success offensively they came out throwing the ball to start the game they ended up running it successfully and at times very dominantly um on the things I liked list Terry McLaurin you know he's the best they've had in years at the position it's really not close I mean Garcon and Jackson not him I mean, I love Pierre and Deshaun when he was healthy. I don't think either one of them is Terry McLaurin in terms of the potential. He is a must-pay-attention-to wideout. Five catches, 84 yards, 16.8 yards per catch. The second best for him this year. He's on pace for 100-plus. He'd be the third player in franchise history with 100-plus catches. Pierre Garçon uh, had that uh, a few years back, and Art Monk was the first to do it. I thought the offensive line did a really nice job. Um, There was a couple of early pressures given up by Moses at left tackle, but I thought he looked good at left tackle for the most part. I thought Schweitzer at times looked good. These are things that Cooley will – have. Have more insight on. I think it's always hard for us to evaluate uh, interior line play in particular on the offense um, unless somebody's getting beat like a drum consistently, but I thought it was pretty good. I'm going to give Scott Turner some credit again. I've done it a couple of times this year, but he's on the list of things I liked. list. You know, he's doing a very good job with his quarterback and with the weapons they have. He gets the ball to his playmakers, McLaurin, McKissick, um, Gibson, Uh, when they want to run it. Uh, Cam Sims now. Um, But he also really spreads it around. I mean, I'm not sure defenses really know where they're going next with the football. Um, The quarterback is big in all of this, okay? And let's not sugarcoat it. When When he got the quarterbacks that he preferred, Kyle Allen and now Alex Smith, he preferred both to Dwayne Haskins. The offense has been much better, I mean, forget the opponents, that's a big part of it, I understand that, but it's been much better. He's got wrinkles in his run game now with motion, and they run inside zone, they run outside zone, they run some power, they most mostly run out of shotgun, they've got movement, they've got motion. You know, his pass offense looks really good with the right guys running it. The ball, the ball is out quickly much of the time, there seems to always be somebody open even when it's a check down. Sometimes the play looks like it's called a check down. And what's wrong with a first and 10 check down for seven yards? Nothing. Um, He took shots yesterday um, deep downfield. He's got a quarterback right now that is one step ahead of the defenses he's played recently. We'll see if it continues. Um, Scott Turner and his quarterbacks have really been effective. I, I think there's some creativity in what he's doing. I don't know how deep the playbook is. But he has schemed it up pretty well and had a good feel for play calling. I think in some of these games, and he did yesterday. Um, I'm going to put something on the list of things that I liked list that maybe you would disagree with, but let me explain. The defense made some plays early in the uh, late in the first half, excuse me, and at the beginning of the second half that kept the game from becoming lopsided. First of all, Darby had some really good breakups of, of deep shots in the first half that were huge. They also got a bit lucky. I mean, uh, Bullock missed a 34-yard field goal, and then there was a fumble, although it was forced by Chase Young. But you wonder why um, Matt LaFleur made the decision to go for a fourth and goal from the three. wasn't from the one, wasn't from the one and a half or two, it was from the three-yard line. Um And then at the end of the first half, Cincinnati had a chance to extend that nine to seven lead, or that they were down seven, six and they had a false start penalty, which helped, but that drive ended in a field goal that made it nine to seven. Then they got the deflection uh, and the interception and they couldn't really gain any yards. And they, and they, the defense forced Bullock to, to attempt a 58 yarder that missed. And so the score remained nine to seven at halftime. So, I thought the defense, and you'll hear it on the things that I didn't like from the game yesterday when I get to that list, but they made a couple of key plays in the first half that really were helpful. And then in the second half, the first two Cincinnati drives, I'm talking about the drives with Burrow at quarterback before he left the game. um, They had figured something out. I think they seemed to have adjusted defensively on those first two drives, the second of uh, of which ended with Burrow getting hurt on the third and two incompleted pass. But the defense figured something out on those first two drives. The punter hadn't punted all day, and then he punted after two three and outs to start the second half. On the list of things I liked, uh, Darby and Fuller. Uh, Both excellent all day. You know, corners are going to give up some some things in today's NFL. They're not going to make every play. But the key is, did they make more than they got beat on? And I thought both of them did. Fuller got hurt, too. He was banged up a little bit. I thought Moreland made some plays, too. And then Moreau had an an interception uh, late in the game. Darby had the two deep shot breakups, nearly had an interception in the end zone before the fourth and three that they went for. He jumped a slant. I thought he was excellent. Tressway was excellent yesterday. He's on my, things, on my list of things I liked. Uh, he had barely punted um, in previous weeks, um, no more than two times in a game, a couple of games where he punted just once. He did, a, he did have to punt five times yesterday, which was the most active he's been. He averaged 50.4 yards on those five punts, had three inside the 20, two inside the 10. It was a great day for Tressway. Lastly, on the things that I liked list. Joe Burrow, the opposing quarterback. Man, did he look good. He is, he's guy, he sees it, he gets it out quickly. He carved up Washington in the first half. You know, if you want to see the difference between a quarterback that sees it and gets it out quickly versus one that does not, look at the difference between Burrow and then Finley, who came in for him. Um, It's too bad that he got hurt. I mean, uh, from a Washington standpoint, it was good to have him out of the game, but it would have been better had he just had a nick and he was back next week. Um, You know, it's funny that they didn't show the replay of the injury. Uh, I saw it, uh, many of you did on social media, because the red zone ran it. Um, It was not the worst I've ever seen by a long shot. John Allen basically pushed the offensive lineman that was trying to block him into the backfield with Montez Sweat coming from the backside, and there's no doubt the knee got bent and contorted into a uh, into a a, a look and that was not attractive um, but you know it's weird that CBS didn't show it. Uh, they've shown a lot worse um, over the years. Maybe they're making it a policy to, to move away from that. But Burrow, man, he was so good. Um, his 21 completions in the first half, he was 21 of 29, was the most for an NFL quarterback in the first half of a game this year. Uh, so the defense was not great. He was carving it up. Now, As to whether or not Washington would have won the game had Burrow not been hurt, well, let's keep in mind that he went out after second, three and out to start the second half. Washington scored on the next drive to take a 14-9 lead. I think it was a toss-up if he had stayed in the game. I don't think it was like this lock that Cincinnati would have won the game. Um, But anyway, uh, we do know this. When Ryan Finley came into the game, it was over (laughs) because that dude held on to it too long and the pass rushers got home and and it was over at that point. Uh but Burrow really uh impressive uh to watch. All right, the list of things that I did not like uh from the game. For the most part the first half defense, they couldn't get off the field. You know, Burrow as I mentioned was 21 of 29 for 195 yards and a touchdown. And they had the ball for 20 minutes or 19 minutes, uh, just over 19 minutes to to just under 11 minutes for Washington. They ran 42 offensive plays to Washington's 23. Um, seven different guys caught balls from Burrow in the first half. There just wasn't enough pressure uh, in the first half on Burrow. With that said, he was getting it out of there so quickly it was hard to generate any pressure. But the defense needs to get off the field. It needs to be overwhelmingly dominant. You know, at least up front, I didn't think it was until a couple of the key plays they made. They did make a couple of of good plays. <clears throat> On the list of things I don't like or didn't like from the game, God, Troy Apke's a problem. You know, in addition to the spatial issues he, he's got um in figuring out, you know, space and taking bad angles. He's not a great tackler. You know, that That play, the fourth and goal from the three that Burrow held on to, Apke was the one that slowed him down that allowed Chase Young to get there and knock the ball out with a big hit. But Apke doesn't even go to tackle him. He just lowers, lowers his shoulder. Like, stop lowering your shoulder and trying to run through guys. Tackle him. Um, he had another bad tackling effort on another play, and I think he's pretty good at the line of scrimmage usually. He also dropped that, that interception uh, on that. Uh, one of those first two drives of the second half, which would have given him great field position. Uh, I just think Troy Apke right now, they've got to play him unless they go out and sign somebody else, but um, he's not the answer there. Uh, I think we've all uh, learned that. Dustin Hopkins, he makes his first two kicks, including breaking Mark Mosley's franchise record for 50-plus-yard field goals and then he misses a 38-yarder at the end of the game. Come on, Dustin. you got to stop missing 38-yard kicks. He pushed this one to the right, and I thought maybe there's a chance if he makes this one he's going to head into Dallas with a ton of confidence. It didn't work out that way. <clears throat> at the same time, I don't think I'd release him. Um, I just don't know that you're going to get anything a lot better, but I think he is now 30th among 32 kickers in field goal uh, percentage, made made percentage. A couple of other quick things. Um, Logan Thomas, how about that quarterback sneak play where he went in motion, then jumped behind center, took a snap as a former quarterback, and snuck it for two yards on a third and two. That was creative, and it worked, although I thought he was stopped short, but uh, they gave him a a, a kind spot. Um, The challenge by Rivera on the A.J. Green sideline catch I think was worth it. You know, it turned out that he was wrong to challenge it because A.J. Green clearly had both feet in, but he didn't know that, and Cincinnati was rushing, and it was a 17-yard play, and I thought in the moment in before the replay was shown to me, um, watching it on television, I actually thought it was worth throwing the challenge flag. By the way, the fourth and goal that Washington got the stop on um, with the Chase Young you know, causing the fumble was really refereed very well. They understood what had happened on the field, that there may have been possession by a defensive player who then lost it back into the end zone, hence touchback or take the penalty. Hence, it wasn't a touchback. Um, it was a safety, so that would have forced Washington to take the penalty. But then they went to replay and realized he didn't have you know, possession of it um, and they ruled it a touchback because if you didn't have possession and the ball went backwards, it's still loose. It's a touchback, not a safety. I thought they did a really great job um, refereeing uh, and administering that uh, situation and then explaining it the way they did. I thought that was um, an exceptional um, job. And, and the referee in the game, oh, God, I recognize him. I think he's really good. Um, Brian Neal. Uh, did an excellent job. I'm sorry, not Brian Neal. Uh, The head referee in the game was Sean Smith. Sean Smith was the head referee. He did an excellent job, I thought, explaining it. Uh, I thought Danny Johnson had a kickoff return that he should have fielded and run back. The ball basically hit barely, barely into the end zone. I think if that ball is coming down at the goal line, you got to field that ball and run it back. He had a big return last week. I'd like to see, you know, more opportunities to flip the field. Uh, you know, Cincinnati's first half in the game, um, you know, it wasn't identical exactly, but it it mirrored to a certain degree Washington's first half in Detroit, moving the ball up and down the field, but missing field goals, turning the ball over. They ended up with nine points. It felt like it should have been a lot more. Uh, there was a call on Deron Payne in the game where he got called for a face mask, mask on a sack. Was that a face mask? It didn't look like it. Um, Chase Young's performance was much better this week than last week. He had the near interception. He had the big hit on Burrow on the fourth and goal. He made some big plays in the run game. He had a a few rushes where he almost got his hand on the ball before it was released. Boz wrote a column in the post um yesterday that got a lot of attention from a lot of washington football fans he basically suggested that chase young's year was not a good year and that he was a disappointment so far and that he was you know a little little bit overrated but that really was the headline of the boz column boz was really trying to say that when you pick a player like him number two overall he has to be he has to be great he's got to be elite that good isn't good enough because you passed on quarterbacks potentially um in drafting him. And I would agree with that. You know, I didn't think he played very well last, last week. Cooley had the lowest grade on him last week. He may be uh playing a little bit hurt here recently. But I agree with that part of, of Boz's comments. Now hindsight's 2020, 50-50 as Spurrier would say. Um, but you know, I think y- it's gonna be hard to ever knock. Picking Chase Young at number two overall, I think that was the right move. Um, You know, Tua had the hip thing. Nobody was really sold on Herbert. Not many people were. Um, And you had a dominant, you know, evaluated defensive end um, coming out. So anyway, um, the point is ultimately for this to look great, Chase Young's got to be a many-time pro bowler and a real game-changer. You know, he does. By the way, statistically, he's got three and a half sacks on the year. Um, And the coaches will tell you, and a trained eye will tell you, he's had major impacts on games that he's been involved in. But I I went and looked this up after reading Boz. You know, the 4-3 defensive ends like Khalil Mack and Miles Garrett in their rookie years, they didn't have big statistical years either. Now, Garrett missed some games, so has Chase Young, but they weren't dominant, and people were sort of saying about them – Um, and where were they picked? Von uh, top five. Both of them were well, Miles Garrett was number one overall. Um and and a lot of people during their rookie years, four three defensive ends were saying, eh, maybe a little bit of a bust, and then year two they exploded. So I would expect the same, and I I bring up the four three defensive end comp because three, four outside linebackers like Von Miller seem to have made a bigger impression earlier. I don't know if it's because of the position or not. I, that would take more research. But I did want to point out that the two best 4-3 defensive end havoc-wreaking pass rushers in the game right now, uh, Miles Garrett and Khalil Mack, did not have great rookie seasons. They didn't. Um, what else did I have from the game? You know, Cincinnati had a punt that went down to the two-yard line and a guy like threw it back in before it went, it went in into the end zone, and the replay clearly showed that the guy's foot was on the line. Now, the game was over at that point pretty much, but that should have been challenged, I thought, Um, unless I have the rule wrong, which maybe is true. Um, I also thought Higgins had a catch on the sideline in the fourth quarter that should have been challenged. He sort of bobbled it, and I don't think he got both feet down. Uh, One last thing, Ryan Finley, who was terrible in that game, um, and I think because of it, Washington really um, took their foot off the pedal a little bit. Um, so some are going to be like, ah, 20 points isn't enough. Well, okay, whatever. Um, Thomas Davis can't run, man. He can't run. If Ryan Finley in that third and 17 juked him a little bit in the open field. Um, I know he's a, a really good leader, et cetera, but I think there's a problem with Thomas Davis if he's got to be on the field too much. So up next is Dallas on Thanksgiving. The winner's in good position in the division, actually very good position. The Giants get the Bengals, no Joe Burrow. If they win, they're in first place based on tiebreakers. The Eagles get Seattle on Monday night. You know, we'll go through some of the schedules. The Eagles have a brutal schedule. Uh, The winner of this game on Thanksgiving is certainly going to be one of the two favorites, maybe the Giants the other, especially if the Giants win on Sunday against Cincinnati, to win the division because Philadelphia is fading right now. So they are in a position... Thursday to really be thought of uh, as a potential NFC East favorite the rest of the way, if they are to beat the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, Dallas, a three point favorite two weeks ago, Dallas would have been a two point underdog. Um, But I told you on Friday and you know, I'll mention this to Tommy. I told you that, that there's some tells coming out of Vegas about a couple of teams. I mentioned Indy. I mentioned to you, Dallas, I forget who else I mentioned, But anyway, keep that in mind. Dallas is talented. They're very talented, and they're very fast on defense in particular. It hasn't produced the results that I'm sure a Cowboy fan would want. But anyway, uh, there there you go. Um, All right, Tommy, uh, after this, uh, we'll get into his thoughts on the game. We'll go around the NFL a little bit. Uh, We will definitely talk about um, three friends of ours who were laid off from 980. On Friday. Uh, We'll
3: do all of that right after this
1: word from one of our sponsors.
3: Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time tested gift around a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site wide during their Mother's Day sale. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.
1: All right, let's bring in Tommy, um, get his thoughts on the game, and also uh, we'll do some uh, other things around the league. And Tommy's got something for us to watch on Saturday night. And I'm going to say something, and Tommy's going to say something, about 980 and the big changes at 980 last week. And three of our friends um, that were laid off on Friday. We'll get to that as well. Um, I did want to quickly mention to you uh, in my annual Queen's Gambit update, I'm through episode six. I've got one episode left. Oh, okay. So, so, it's a good one. Um, all right. Now he's good. Yeah. Um, I I will only say that I think episodes in f- f- five and six, they sped it up a little bit too much for me. Um, there's some things like her relationship with Benny that, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's not well acted on his part, I would say, um, as just a comment, but I really am enjoying it and I can't wait for the finale. I I got through episode 6 yesterday morning and then we were ready for football and a long day of football. So I plan on finishing that up either today or tomorrow. But it's been it's uh, been be one of your pay better recommendations. You. It'll be a good payoff. Okay. Uh very good. Um I've gone through my complete game take, uh what was your uh reaction and your recap of the game?
2: Well, uh you know, this was I wrote in my column in the Washington times that the last time Ryan Finley faced the Washington football team in a game, he went 20 for 26 and threw two <laughs> touchdown passes in the preseason, right? Yes. Yeah. This, this wasn't <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Uh, I mean, what, what we saw, I mean, the game hinged on Joe Burrow going out. I mean, you know, look at that again, Joe Burrow, it's my first time getting a a full game look at him or at least as much as we did. Right. And he had that Washington defense in knots. Yes, he did. I mean, he really did. I mean, they were, they, they didn't have a, they were scared of of what he could do to them at at some point. And uh, that fear disappeared when he left the field, unfortunately, Uh, I I really feel bad for him because he's good for the game and Ryan Finley came in and then you had a a defense that has the capability to make a quarterback's life miserable do just that to Ryan Finley. I think he had four sacks uh so the game hinged i mean even ron rivera said it in his post-game press conferences the game changed after that and washington did what they have to do when the backup quarterback comes in who hasn't taken snaps during the week you've got to take advantage of that opportunity and they did that but i think if ryan finley never sees the light of day that's a win for the bengals
1: I I think most people think that. I I mentioned, Tommy, that the I really felt like they were carved up by Burrow in Cincinnati in the first half. There's no doubt about that. But that the defense made a couple of plays to keep it from being lopsided at the half. The Bengals, you know, imploded. They missed two field goals and extra points and they fumbled on a fourth and goal from the three, which I don't think they should have gone for anyway. But the defense at the end of the half, the two drives before the end of the half got off the field, holding them to just three points. And then the first two drives of the second half with Burrow in the game, the defense forced two back-to-back three and outs and got pressure and looked like, on those first two drives of the second half, a totally different defense. Their punter had not seen the field, and they went three and out, three and out, including the... the, the, the Third and two, in which Burrow was hurt on on their second drive. So I don't think it was a lock that Cincinnati wins. In fact, I would have said it's a toss up game. Washington off that second three and out had the ball at midfield. They ended up scoring not against Joe Burrow but against Cincinnati's defense to take a fourteen to nine lead. So Burrow would have come back had he been healthy onto the field down fourteen to nine. You know he wouldn't after-
2: have been he wouldn't have been buried. In, in, in deep in his own territory like he was when he got hurt. I mean what I mean so at some point they would have gotten field position. He would have he would have outscored Alex Smith. Like every quarterback in this league, more or less, who starts for the NFL teams can do. I mean <laughs> even even this Bengals team, which yeah. is ranked twenty sixth in the league in defense, they still only managed to put up twenty points against them.
1: Yeah, but Cincinnati's best defense in the first half was its offense. They stayed on the field. They they doubled. Joe Burrow
2: was their best. He was great defensive player. He
1: was phenomenal. All I'm saying is that the game before he got hurt, the game was starting to turn a little bit. Anyway, Washington's defense had stepped up at the end of the first half, and then for the first time in the game, not not, didn't force one three and out. Forced back to back three and outs and when Joe Burrow if he had not been hurt on the third and two in which there was heavy pressure um he would have he would have taken the field from his own 25 yard line down 14 to 9 midway through the third quarter so to automatically assume that if Joe Burrow hadn't gotten hurt Cincinnati would have won the game i think at that point the game with Burrow in it had turned into a toss up
2: except that you know i don't think that they could have contained Burrow. I just don't think that that Alex Smith could put up enough points to outscore Joe Burrow. Why? I know it's not quarterback to quarterback, but in a way it is.
1: But why? Last week they put up 24 in the second half. The week before that they put up 17 in the second half. I know
2: that because they were losing in those games. Right. Well, if you were in a back-and-forth game – and the the, the the defenses no it didn't. were, no, know, they didn't. were, were oh, oh yeah i know i know they're not well you, uh, you read film. you
1: read their their psychological their strategy wasn't that they allowed easy yards and easy points it's not the way no. they were playing defense now maybe okay. psychologically they were that way all i'm saying is at 14 to 9 joe burrow would have walked back out onto the field midway through the third quarter trailing by 5 from his own twenty five yard line with the previous possessions being two three and outs, and so the momentum had started to turn a little bit
2: it, of course it started to turn a little bit
1: and then it turned I mean, a lot when words, he when they carted words, him off
2: they managed to stop Joe Burrow from scoring on two drives that's right that's that's not exactly a badge of courage
1: no well but well actually if you go back to the end of the first half, you know they had incredible field position and opportunity and they held them to three points. It was really for it was really the end of the first drive, the second to last drive of the first half. The last drive after the interception which they forced a long field goal and then back to back three and outs. Look, three and outs in the NFL if you're not, you know, the the Steelers or the Ravens or the Bears defensively or some of these other good defensive teams, they're not that common so they had they'd come out and what you saw in the first two drives for cincinnati in the second half is you did see for the first time le- legitimate and immediate pressure um on uh, on on joe burrow after they stopped the run uh, to start that that first drive. And then, you know, they got him into, it was a, uh, an incredible punt by Tressway that buried him at the two. And then they had him in the third and two, and they got immediate pressure, and John Allen, you know, collapsed the pocket, and sweat came behind him. And the throw, you know, really didn't have much of a chance. And I forget who was uh, in coverage. I think it was Fuller. And they were off the field for a second straight three and out, getting the ball back in terrific field position, which they then marched Five plays, touchdown to take a 14-9 lead. Just to assume that they wouldn't have won the game, I just think is a big leap. I agree with you the game was over when Burrow left and we saw Finley, you know, for the first time. Then it was over, and in terms of their ability to score the rest of the way, they took their foot off the pedal offensively. They realized the only way we can lose this game is to, you know, hand the ball over to the, you know, to, to Cincinnati and, and, and mess it up ourselves. So I think had they needed to, you know, generate, I mean, they, they, they essentially stopped throwing the football after a while, which has been their plan, you know, a lot. Um, but anyway, uh, we can agree to disagree on that. The bottom line is Joe Burrow leaving ended Cincinnati's chances. That's yeah. 100% true.
2: I mean, they're already playing without their best running back in Joe Mixon. They, right. they, they but they've been without him for weeks. I, well I know but they couldn't possibly then win the game I might want to point out you know you, you can you can paint it as this was this was all the plan and it was I mean an Alex Smith victory is this is the formula for victory and one thing they did do was they did take the lead early they lost it even quick but they did take a seven nothing lead early what do you that mean the plan bit...
1: the plan that I said that they had no no
2: the plan is in an Alex Smith game. Is to take the lead and then control the ball.
1: Yeah, I mean, it certainly was in 2018. Ball. It certainly was in 2018. This well, of is of course a, it is. This is yeah, a different. Is. I mean, for, first of all, that's not a bad plan for almost any team that doesn't right. have Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or but Russell sometimes Wilson.
2: Sometimes you're not. You don't have the lead.
1: Yeah, I understand
2: that. Words, Ron Rivera said Alex Smith took what they gave him, but that's what he does. What he can't do is take more than what they give him.
1: Yeah, he did yesterday, though. He got the ball and pushed the ball down the field. Now, that may have been what they gave him, but he was successful in doing that. Um... I I think, you know, look, we know what Alex Smith was before two and a half weeks ago for his career. Well, some people don't seem to think so. Some people think he's like
2: the starting quarterback for the next couple
1: years for this team. Well, well, I mean, I don't necessarily think that that would be the way to go, but are you discounting it as a possibility?
2: No, I'm not discounting it as a possibility. Anything's possible.
1: With, with well, it's a uh, lot more possible after team. these last two and a half games than it was two and a half games ago. Yes, it is.
2: I, I didn't say it wasn't possible. I'm not discounting it at all. Right. I I just think it's it's an indication of a team of, a, of an organization going nowhere.
1: Um, I think, to have that
2: kind of plan.
1: I I don't think that I totally disagree with you um I don't want Alex Smith to be the long-term plan I don't really even want him to be the 2021 plan but may I reserve the right to change my mind over these final six games because the last two games and really two and a half you know even though he had the crucial interceptions. He's been a completely – first of all, he's been completely um, different than I thought he was capable of being. I mean, he, he has – one thing he's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt in these last two-and-a-half games, he is back. He is a legitimate starting quarterback. Can you win with him? I don't know. Pro- probably not win anything of significance, which is sort of the case before he got injured. But is he back physically capable of quarterbacking in the NFL? He is. Now, is he vulnerable to another injury? Um, you know, are the opponents, do they have something to do with it? Is the, uh, I personally, Tommy, think that the offense is the right offense for him. And I don't think Jay Grudens was. And I think that um, they have better weapons offensively than anybody thought they had prior to the season starting. And that that is a big help for him as well right now. He has he has great checkdown options. He also has a really good deep option. And so the whole thing is coming together in that it fits him right now. Will it fit him next year? Well, if it fits him right now, it should fit him next year. Do you want a 37-year-old who's probably not going to win a you're you're probably not going to win a Super Bowl with? I don't think so. But I guarantee you they're starting to consider it seriously, especially given that they need a middle linebacker in Ron Rivera's defense desperately, and that could be the first pick Um, and not a quarterback. Doesn't mean you can't get a quarterback in the second round or the third round, but I wonder, well, look, this is all open to change because they have six games left, and he may totally soil himself. And they may lose these games, and they may have a super high pick, but what if they go on to win five games, two more, and literally have a chance to win the division as a 5-11 and 11 team? What if that happens? And they're competitive like they've been the last four weeks, the rest of the way. I get that. It's not going to happen, though. All right. Um, it might not. It might not. Um, I'll tell you what. Uh, I talked a little bit about it in in sort of my game take. The Thursday game is, is what is sort of what we always or I have always i've not that I've you know completely fallen into Tommy's you know um, surgeon general warning and all of his negative uh, you know attitudes towards the football team over the years, but i I have been uh, in my own way I've come to the uh, conclusion after many years, some of which um, was influenced by my partner here um that there's only so much you can dream about you know, when it comes to this football team, like the dreams that you used to have that were wild dreams and probably not possible in the first 10 years of ownership, the last 10 years, it's become very clear that really what you're rooting for, as, as I've said many times in August and early September is just to have a game that matters from Thanksgiving on, you know, cause there've been many years where none of this has mattered. And even though they're three and seven, they're playing a game on Thanksgiving day that matters, And I think it's going to be a very intense game. First of all, the Cowboys are going to have this chip on their shoulder after being embarrassed a few weeks ago. Secondly, they're better than people think. What – did I do this with you on Thursday where I gave you some Vegas tells on a couple of teams? I told Yes, you, you did. And I told yeah. you that they like the Cowboys more than most people would think. And, you know, I gave the Cowboys out as a smell test pick and said that they've got a chance to win the game and that they're going to play better. And Vegas sort of sees it before anybody else does. And, you know, part of it was the way they performed against the Steelers. And then they got Dalton back. I think we're getting a Cowboy team, a bit on the rise here. Now, again, they're going maybe from bad to approaching mediocre. Here's the thing about Dallas. They actually have talent. They have more yes, talent than anybody in the division. Um, I think it's going to be an intense game Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> like, I'm actually looking forward to it in a weird way, even though it really is sort of, you know, a rubbernecking situation on Thursday. I mean, here's this wreck of these two teams, but somebody's going to emerge from the wreckage, somewhat intact and not without all limbs lost. And they're going to be walking <laughs> away saying, "Hey, I can drive. Give me another car to drive." They, the, the, the winner of this game, Tommy, is in first place. You know that, right? I know that. I know that. And this warped division race that, that you've got here, <laughs> the, the Eagles may be the worst team in the division. So I have not seen this yet. I'm going to look it up real quickly because um, uh, they're still not up yet. I'm waiting for the updated division odds because my guess is Philadelphia, which has been the favorite in the division for for several weeks now, is maybe no longer the favorite. And it would not surprise me if the Giants are the favorite right now to win the division. Um, but but basically, all four teams are going to be bunched up right now. Like, you've got to look, you know, th- this is one of those things where I am looking at the schedule. Because we only have six games left, and there isn't much time for teams to completely lose all their players and be something other than what they look like on the schedule. It can happen, of course. But Philadelphia, Tommy, plays Seattle on Monday night. Then they go to Lambeau to play the Packers. Then they play the Saints. And then they play out in Arizona against the Cardinals. They're going to be big underdogs in their next four games. They're certainly underdogs. Uh, I think they're a five-point underdog right now in the Monday night game against Seattle, and that's in Philly, not that these home you know, versus road situations mean much uh, anymore this year. Um, Philly is headed, and, and there's a lot of questions as to whether or not even Carson Wentz should be the starter, although Doug Peterson did say he's not moving away from Wentz. But, but he's been terrible, terrible. Philadelphia yes, probably yes. with their it's unbelievable how bad he's been. Philadelphia might be right now the odds on team to finish last with that I, schedule. I said,
2: I said they, they look like the worst team in the division right now.
1: Ah, it's not saying much,
2: you know. Again, <laughs> what let's get back to Alex Smith for a second okay. because I mean, you know, everyone's drinking the Kool Aid about this guy. I'm not saying you are. But everyone, but you are to some extent. Well, what do you? I, Everyone's I, drinking the Kool Aid. Who's drinking the Kool Aid? I mean, he can't generate offense what are you talking about he can't generate he offense can't that's all he's done points. for what are he you talking about the, you know the, the, the you know that washington is 29th in the league in points scored yes i
1: i understand that but you do, do you realize that over the last five games yesterday they weren't as good on third down so they'll dropped they were the number one third down conversion offense in the game in the four games leading into yesterday what translates typically to the ability to score more than turnover ratio, which they were down in, and third down conversions. They were top number six in yards, they were number six in time of possession. Tommy, everything they've been doing has sh- should have produced more points. They scored twenty seven last week. You know, it's not like they didn't score any points. They are they they are they have been moving the ball consistently, and they are a much more capable offensive team under him and Allen. Prior to that, than they were before. Twenty points. The the oh, only team oh, to
2: score on. less against the Bengals were the the Los Angeles Chargers. When they beat them 16-13 in the season opener.
1: I know, but but you who love to play the, well, Detroit didn't really try um, on defense, which is why they scored 24 points on four consecutive drives in the second half, generating over 300 yards and a half of offense to tie the game with 16 seconds left. It, it it wasn't clear to you how much they took their foot off the pedal when Burrow left the game and they built a two score lead. Like those final that's, three that's... or four drives, if they had needed to score, they would have scored more. Okay,
2: it, it, Alex Smith versus Joe Burrow, foot off the gas. Who wins that?
1: What, what do you mean foot off the gas? If Joe Burrow had been in the game, there would have been no reason to take your foot off the gas. They took the foot right. off the gas because the other guy literally so who, couldn't so do anything.
2: So who, who wins that?
1: Well, I told you. I. Was,
2: was their foot off the gas in the first half? No, but they didn't or were really. They, were they just playing around?
1: No, but they really didn't. It's Cincinnati dominate. It's like It's like what happened last week in reverse, right? Cincinnati. Had dominated time of possession, had all these opportunities and had all this self inflicted damage, they should have had twenty points and they only had nine. Washington scored on their second drive touchdown and then were driving obviously late when you had the you know with a chance to get points but when the deflected interception happened. they just didn't have enough chances in the first half and that's you know that 's just the the way games go is that you sometimes, unfortunately, can't get the other team off the field so your offense doesn't get enough snaps. Before that final drive, they had 17 offensive snaps. Um... So anyway, yeah, in in the second half, you know, in that first, you know, that second drive, they went five plays, 55 yards, and then they went six plays, 49 yards for a score, and then 14 plays, 65 yards for a score. And at that point, their foot was off the pedal. Do I think in a back-and-forth game, had Joe Burrow stayed in it, that Washington was capable of scoring enough to have a chance to win like they were last week, the week before that, and two weeks prior to that? Yes. Would they they have won the game? I have no idea. That's why I said I think it was a toss-up. Uh, I, time, don't think they, left I don't think they're capable of, of a back and forth those games the
2: past two weeks against the Giants and the Lions were not back and forth.
1: No, well, they, no, they, they were not back and forth, although they were back and forth at the end of the Detroit game, obviously, when, you know, it was 24-24, then Detroit right. took the lead, and then Washington came back and tied it, and then Detroit won it in 16 seconds with, you know, courtesy of the 15-yard penalty. Um but uh yeah no I I mean I think they I mean if you're asking about Alex Smith big picture is he going to be here next year I actually think he will be do I want him to be I don't know um probably not Um, But I I also, as you know, like to be presented with solutions um, before I definitively say no. I've obviously done a 180 on his capability as an NFL quarterback. I thought we were going to see not necessarily the Rams' second half, but something indicating that this guy just couldn't do it physically anymore, and we have not seen that. Can we agree on that, that physically he's able to do it?
2: Yes, but he he is Alex Smith. Uh, He is the guy we saw in 2018. Right. And we didn't like that guy either.
1: No, we didn't like that guy in that scheme. We did not. That's for sure. I like – if you told me that he wasn't 36 and 37 years old and we didn't have the experience we had two years ago and he, you know, is showing what he's showing and this is his first time in Washington playing off that injury – I would tell you that like I would probably be less influenced by 2018. And I would say, man, he looks good. Like he really – this is an offense that suits him. He's decisive. He's quick. He's accurate. Um, he has arm strength, which and, – and by the way, reasonable mobility considering the injury that he's off of. I, I think if, we, if I didn't have the 2018 to, to look back on – I think I would actually feel differently about the future with him. Now, I still wouldn't think – I would think what I thought about him coming from Kansas City. If you put a really good team around him, you can be a playoff team. Um, Can you ever be a Super Bowl team with him? Probably not. So if that's the answer on that, then you shouldn't go in that direction because the goal should be a Super Bowl. Uh, the the issue isn't whether what, what we think, even though that's what we do on these shows. The issue is to to contemplate what they're thinking, and I think that what's become very clear over these last five weeks is when Scott Turner got his preference of quarterbacks, plural. You, you're seeing an offensive coordinator that actually looks like he belongs. It's early, but you know there have been a lot of naysayers, Norv Sun. You know the early troubles uh, offensively. But there's a lot of creativity to what they're doing. I don't know how deep the playbook is. I don't think it's super deep. Um, But I like what I've seen from him as a play caller um, more times than not this year, including a game or two with Dwayne. And I think, you know, he got the quarterbacks that he wanted. He got Kyle first. And when Kyle got hurt, he got Alex. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing an offense that is, you know, as I said a couple of weeks ago, is professionally competent. Worst case, I can't disagree with that. I, I can't disagree. I, I mean, he, I
2: think he, I think he's done overall a decent job in, in the play calling and the selection and the creativity. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a limited offense with a limited quarterback. And that's not the kind of offense, that's not the kind of team that wins games in the NFL.
1: It's certainly not the kind of team that wins a lot of games in the NFL. I will definitely agree with you on that. And look, they're going to get tested on Thanksgiving Day against a Dallas team that has talent and speed in their front seven defensively, even though statistically you'll read about how bad they are defensively. And they haven't been great, but they were better. Uh, they, they've they got speed they gave up a lot of yards and a lot of points yesterday um, but they rolled up a lot of points yesterday you know th- Thursday's going to be a test and obviously a week from next Sunday at Pittsburgh that'll be the real you know that'll be the best defensive team they have faced all year long the Ravens were close the Rams are really good defensively the Eagles are pretty good defensively and have been at times um but uh we'll know a lot more after these next 3 games cuz the 49ers even though they're pretty much done they still are pretty quick Yes. and active defensively, so we'll find out I mean it could completely fall apart and we could see you know twenty seven to ten twenty four to six and thirty one to thirteen over the next three weeks and what we saw against in fair enough against the Giants Cowboys Giants Lions, and Bengals was really more of an illusion um and it may have, it may be, but I am interested to see what happens thursday and if they aren't and here's just another quick point because i don't think i mentioned this earlier if i did um sorry for being repetitive the dallas minnesota game yesterday was a very chippy physical hard-hitting game short turnaround for the cowboys um and washington played in essentially for the second half a very stress-free game um so that you know the dallas is a three-point favorite two weeks ago they would have been a three-point underdog which tells you how Vegas has sort of turned on them a little bit. Um, I don't know. We'll see. And the winner is four and seven. And for a moment in first place. So this is the final game of the winnable
2: uh, Ron Rivera part of the schedule. Right? This uh, is the final one. Yeah. because well, when, he, it, when he talked about that winnable sch- part right. of the schedule, this is the finale. So far, they are two and three in that stretch.
1: That's right with so, th- with, okay. with the three losses being by a grand total of seven points, all three of yes. those being games that they very easily could have won um, yes. and which which means absolutely nothing to me I know it and it doesn't mean that much to me but again and I mentioned this to you last week in a season where you have new regime uh, entering a situation that is about as dysfunctional as it gets in team sports. Um, with no expectations of winning I'm not looking for bottom line wins losses I think that's a limiting way to look at a new coach a new regime well, of course it into is. an especially, organization like this one so
2: especially this year when you, you, you've got the the new coach coming in with a shortened, uh, training camp, dealing with a a, ter- a, a a terrible personal situation in cancer. Yeah, I mean this is not this is not a judgment year.
1: Right. So when Ron you when Rivera. you said which which means nothing to you, it does mean something to me, and that's where I was going. The last five games have shown that a his team hasn't bailed on him or his staff. Um, B, they've actually coached them up pretty well for the most part. Again, the competition is lessened. We all understand that. But it didn't matter last year or in 2017 that the competition was less. They got their ass kicked. They were embarrassed. Um, They've had five consecutive games, all five of which, late into the fourth quarter, they had a chance to win. They've only won two of them. Um, And, yes, to answer your first point, This game on Thanksgiving, in terms of the schedule, was this part of the schedule that he thought he could make hay on? And so, if they win, they were three and three. And if they're three and three, they're very likely either in a share of first place with a team that they would lose the tiebreaker with in the Giants um, at four and seven, or maybe in first place all by themselves um, heading to Pittsburgh. I would agree. Yeah. So um he w- he'll come out of it if he's in first place uh, a week from today uh which the Giants now shouldn't lose to Cincinnati because it'll be Ryan Finley not Joe Burke. Yeah. Um but if he is He'll come out of it saying, yeah, this was the opportunity. So we saw a chance to go 3-3 three and three over a, you know, we could have been better too and, and, and be in first place. And, you know, and, I, and I've been a December coach my whole year, uh, my whole career, which he has. His record in which December has, You're right. has yeah. been fantastic. Um, anyway,
2: But, I mean, this is a year, again, you know, given everything. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you've decided you decide that their, their competitive level is a measure of hope in this i mean i I wouldn't necessarily think that i would just think if i was looking for anything to measure this year in terms of progress that they found a couple of play they found some players
1: well that would be the other part for me build on to be fair that some players to be fair that would be the other part for me yeah is that that it's become more clear um that they actually have some players that can really be a part of something um so, anyway, um, what does it all mean? I don't know. You know, they they just because at one point in a season you're pretty sure a division or a group of teams stink doesn't mean they stop playing their games. They play them all. We hope they'll play them all this year. Um, and we'll see where it is at the end. Right now and looking at it, I think 5-11, and 11, certainly 6-10, more likely than not wins this division this year. Can they find three more wins? Not going to be easy. Not going to be easy. Um, But if they are, one of them has to be Thursday. Yes.
2: Yes. Yes, it does. One of them has to be Thursday.
1: So anyway, absolutely. Uh, let me tell you real quickly about my bookie dot um, This is the time of year, man. A lot of people holiday time, all the football that's on, you know, even if they took a break cause they got, they were, they were losing at some point. It's like, ah, I got to get back into it on Thanksgiving. How can you eat? and be a part of Thanksgiving Day without having some action on a game. Tommy, there were years where I hated the Detroit game at 1230 against the Packers or the Lions or against the Bears or something like that. But guess what I did? I fired in on it just to have something to watch. Um, Be careful, people, uh, with gambling. uh, But go to mybookie.ag. They will match your deposit halfway if you use my promo code kevin dc they have uh every single way you want to bet a sporting event you can bet it the lines are fair the pricing is fair you get paid if you don't have a place i recommend it if you already have a place i recommend it as a place to shop lines with Um, I would go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code kevindc, K-E-V-I-N-D-C, and they'll match your deposit up to half of your deposit. So you put in a thousand bucks and they'll give you 500 bucks for it. Um, Totally worth it if you're into this sort of thing. Um, So You know, I haven't had a chance to talk about some of the other games. Last night's game, Tommy, I don't know if you watched it or not, it was really spectacular.
2: It was. I watched a lot of it.
1: It was a hell of a football game. Especially the
2: second half.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was not a great defensive game by any stretch of the imagination. Um, The first – the game started with – A touchdown drive by Oakland, a touchdown uh, by Vegas, excuse me, touchdown drive by Kansas City, touchdown drive by the Raiders, touchdown uh, drive by Kansas City, field goal drive by the Raiders. So you essentially had 31 points scored on your first five possessions of the game. Uh, 10 of the 14 possessions in the game produce points. That's really something else in a game. Um, I thought the Raiders were so impressive, and I have not been a big fan of them all year. They clearly have something figured out with the Chiefs. They beat them the first round, and they had them on the ropes last night up 31-28 before Pat Mahomes led a long drive um, that won the game for Kansas City at the end. Um, the Raiders are a good team. I think the biggest takeaway coming out of that is that the Raiders, I think, are better than people think. They're 6-4. and four. And I would agree. And I was
2: surprised at how competitive they were
1: with the Chiefs. I thought Gruden did a phenomenal job play and, calling. And not, and not self-destructive like they've been in the past. That's right. And Derek Carr was outstanding, and he's got some weapons. Waller's turned into a really good tight end. He's got Aguilar there. He's got Renfro there. He's got Ruggs there. Um, They're a good team. I do want to mention everybody understands what Kansas City is and how capable they are uh, offensively. Um, you know, defensively, Kansas City's really had some issues. They gave up 31 last week, or you know, two weeks ago, last week or two weeks ago to the Panthers. Um, barely hung on to win that game 33 31. And their two games prior to that were really against two teams that can't score Denver and the Jets. They gave up 40 to the Raiders at one point this year in an, early, in an earlier la- loss. If you're a Chiefs fan, you got to be a little bit concerned. Um, about your team defensively. I mean, you've given up a lot of yards and a lot of points here over the last two weeks, and it's not the first time it's happened this year. And eventually, you know, being able to outscore everybody, um, they couldn't do it two years ago, if you recall. They ended up getting caught in the AFC Championship game by New England. Last year, they fell behind in back-to-back playoff games and came back, and then they were down in the Super Bowl and came back. Um, you don't want to make a living of having to come back against everybody. Um, they certainly have the ability to. It's 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 fun to watch them play offense, man. Tyree Kill and Kelsey and 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 Clyde uh, Clyde Edwards-Helaire uh, they and Le'Veon Bell now is part of the mix. There's something else to watch, but that game was really really fun to watch. And th- they play the Buccaneers this Sunday. They play at Tampa um, on Sunday. That's a fascinating matchup. They also have a game later in the year against the Saints, and I don't know if Breeze will be back for that. Meantime, you know, the Raiders are in this bundle, uh, this, this bundle of teams, um, you know, all bunched up in the AFC fighting for wild cards. Um, they, you know, they have the Falcons and the Jets. They, they still have to play the Colts. They have to play the Dolphins, which are good. But they look like a playoff team to me. I think it's the first time they've looked that way to me. Man, the AFC's crazy. Baltimore lost it to really Tennessee is. Today. Baltimore doesn't make the playoffs if the if the season ended now. They would not. Yeah. They would not. And Tennessee beat them. You know, in a, they beat them in the playoffs last year. They went in there and beat them again. You know, in overtime on the Derrick Henry run. But right now, I mean, your division winners would be Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Indy, and Kansas City, and then you've got. Um, you've got a, a seven and three team in Cleveland, a seven and three team in Tennessee, six and four teams in the Raiders and the Dolphins and the Ravens. I mean, the the Ravens, what they do have going for them is they play some NFC East teams and the Bengals, I think, and I think they play the Jags too. So I'd be surprised that they aren't able to win you know of their final six games four of them to get to 10 and six to get into the postseason I think they will they play they play Thanksgiving night you know against the Steelers um yes and uh I am so excited about Thanksgiving this year <laughs>
2: because it's not at my typical relative's house
1: I was gonna ask you about that so, so you're not, I've got, you're not I've going got, to I've Philly got,
2: I've got an all day football Thanksgiving lined up for me
1: Okay, tell me what tell me what it entails, because it doesn't uh, it doesn't necessarily include football until maybe the Washington game. But how many episodes of the Rockford Files? No,
2: no, no, no. I'm going I'm going to my son's uh, house in in Bethany and uh, we're going to have Thanksgiving there. Oh, nice. And uh, I'd say I would say from once the Washington game begins, my Thanksgiving is football. All the way to my head hits the pillow.
1: You know what? you? I mean, you have enjoyed your time in Philadelphia on Thanksgivings, but this sounds like it'll be a great Thanksgiving as well. Yes. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, We are, as you know, um, we've typically hosted anywhere from 25 people. I think one year we may have had 40. Um, That is no longer in, in play. Um, during pandemic 2020. So we have basically, I think it'll be a group of seven. Seven or eight. I think eight. Okay. That'll be it. <clears throat> and I told my wife yesterday, she did not know before yesterday that Washington played on Thanksgiving. I said, the Skins play Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. She's like, God damn it, again? <laughs> she goes, I, when when is this going to stop? It seems like it's every year now. And it, it has been a lot in recent years. You know, they played... 2012, we know, but then 2016, 2018, 2020, three, you know, every other year here for the last, um, five years. So, uh, it's, it, let's face it. We, little did we know it's Dan Snyder's favorite holiday. Um, little did we know that happy Thanksgiving was his yes. favorite holiday. Um, oh, I think he loves spending it with old Jerry, uh, <laughs> and, and the wife. Um, but, you know, in recent years when we've had a large gathering, I've said, look, I mean, it, it, g- try to, you know, serve everybody at halftime and I'll sit down and or we can do it right when the game ends. It's 730 and um, we can do it that way. And I think we've done a mix of everything. I can't remember anymore, but I threw out this as a possibility yesterday to her. I said, <clears throat> why don't we just do it early like everybody else does? And my wife said to me she goes no one else does it early. I go oh. oh a
2: lot of people do it early.
1: I go oh yeah they do. I know a lot yeah. of people that do it early. So we yeah. got into this argument and it produced me going to Google for average thanksgiving day meal times and the height of meal time is between 1 and 3 in the afternoon, like 42% of Americans eat Thanksgiving dinner between 1 and 3, like 6% between 12 and 1, and then it goes down from there, like from from 3 to 5, I think it was like 20-something percent, and then from 5 to 7, it was something else, and then after 7, it was very small. So I had to prove it to her, courtesy of Google, and she was surprised by that, and I I was like, I'm surprised that you're surprised by that because I think most of the people I know usually are done by the time the 4 o'clock game starts. Yes. <clears throat>
2: yes, same with me. Absolutely. Now, up in Philly, we didn't eat till about 5 o'clock. Uh, now, my, my in-laws always had a 5 o'clock dinner, so that was always a conflict for me. But, but you see, I, one thing, I, I didn't grow up in a big family. Okay, it was my sister, me, my mom, and my dad, and I don't remember spending a lot of uh Thanksgivings with all my relatives, even though we saw my relatives a lot. I had a bunch of cousins out in Long Island that we used to go see, but not on Thanksgiving, I don't remember. Uh, so uh, you know, I mean, Thanksgiving was not the huge deal that it was for other families for us because. We, you know, we we were just a small unit.
1: Yeah, we Thanksgiving was always a huge deal for us. Huge, large family gatherings with aunts, uncles, cousins, grandmother, <clears throat> etc. And it was always a great holiday. Um, it was. It's always been my favorite holiday. Now you got to remember,
2: growing up in, in, in when, I, when we moved to the Poconos, uh, living in the Poconos, Thanksgiving morning was the turkey day game. The game between stroudsburg and east stroudsburg oh, big game for, yeah for the little brown jug <laughs> for the little so, brown jug so uh that i mean that, that the whole town it was like woodstock in the poconos yeah the whole town revolved around that game so you know thanksgiving was the fo- the local high school football matchup they don't do that anymore because of the formation of leagues has new leagues has made it more difficult to have
1: that game this late in the season. Oh, I'm glad for the update. Cause I had a lot of people that were interested as to whether or not the little Brown jug game would be played. Well, there've the been a
2: couple of, of, uh, Washington football players who were played in the little Brown jug. Who? Chris Neal.
1: Right. Of course. Uh, was one. You're, yeah. You're the
2: gone. Pocono punisher. Right. And who was the, who was the good looking defensive back who hurt himself? And, uh, uh, for Washington a few years ago. Um, I forget what his name was. He, he suffered a career-ending injury. He looked good as oh, a rookie. Oh, Kaishan Jarrett. Yeah, he played for East Stroudsburg. So he played in, in the Little Brown Jug game. So you've we, had a couple of Washington alumni mm. play, play in this game. Um, and so that was a big deal on Thanksgiving. And, and also, and growing up in Brooklyn, the Thanksgiving meal, an Italian meal, is there's, there's two meals. There's there's all the lasagna and the pasta oh,
3: yeah.
1: that you eat earlier in the day. Oh, and then you go turkey late? And then you go turkey later. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. I think I'd love to spend Thanksgiving with an Italian family. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sounds wonderful. So anyway, the, the, the brief dilemma here is it's a smaller gathering, and she's like, look, I mean... The boys, you guys are gonna to want to watch the game. So and I'm like, here's the problem though. Without having my father in law or brother in law, when the Washington's played here in recent years, they've cut the turkey. When they haven't played, I've cut the turkey. But no none of those people are gonna be here. So I told my wife, look, turkey's gotta be out by four o'clock. I'll cut it. Then we can eat at halftime. But I can't cut it at halftime and then eat at halftime. I'm even. I'm even willing. And I told her I'm even willing to just do this. I'll pause the beginning of the game, but we eat at 4:30. You know, we sit down. We, uh, you know, we'll take the turkey out at three thirty. I'll cut it at four. Um, we'll eat at four thirty, and then we'll be done at five fifteen. It'll be a quick sprint, and then I can catch up. You know, I can del- I can just record it, DVR it, and go catch up, and not pay attention, and tell all my boys not to pay attention to their phones, which will be impossible. Somebody will be like, "Oh, oh." And I'll be like, oh, Jesus, was that good or bad? (laughs) (laughs) And they'll say, "Uh, do you want to know? And then I'll say, yeah, I want to know. And they'll say, oh, Antonio Gibson just had a 42-yard touchdown run. They're up 14 to – oh, I wasn't supposed to tell you the score. Um, But anyway, we'll figure it out. It always works out. Um, I wanted to just mention one more thing before you finished with a thought on something that's going to air on Saturday night. The Packers-Colts game – was really first of all it was a good day for the smell test um a lot of the dogs came through i was 4 and 1 uh 11 and 7 i think for the weekend 4 and 1 yesterday um i told you i thought the cowboys could win out right i had the colts i had um washington and i had um i had philly that didn't work What was the other one that did work? Oh, the Texans. Um, I thought the Texans would uh, beat uh, New England, especially off New England playing that incredible game last week. I also would have given you Denver before the day started. Yesterday, I played Denver. I played the Jets, too, which was a nice little backdoor cover. My boy Flacco came up big late (laughs) um, for a backdoor cover. But anyway, um, the Colts-Packers game. First of all, I mean – I think it's another team. You know, I told you, the tell, that the Vegas likes Indy a lot. I think they're well coached. I think they're really good defensively. Um, You know, last week they beat the Titans on the road on that Thursday night game. The Ravens game was a bit misleading because there was a fumble return for a touchdown and then a crazy interception that shouldn't have been. And the Colts are really, really good. And they came back from a 28-14 deficit. And then the end of that game, the end of regulation, was crazy. I don't know that I've ever seen him, and some of you watch this. I don't know that I I've, watched it. I don't know that I've ever seen a crazier ending in that final drive when the game should have been over, but it wasn't. so I'll give you for the people that watch this so. Uh, Indianapolis roared back from 31, from 28, 14 down at half, and they were up 31, 28 after a field goal in the fourth quarter with about nine minutes to go. They got, um, they stopped Green Bay on a fourth and one at the Indy 34, up 31, 28. They took over, and they took over with three minutes and eleven seconds left. Green Bay had all of their timeouts left, so Indy, you know, stays aggressive. First down plate throws uh Rivers pass 14 yards. Um and then they get into a stretch where they had there were so many penalties in oh the my game. Oh gosh. But I want to start with this holding after penalty after holding penalty. There were 9 holding penalties in, in in total called against the Colts offense in the game. I don't I don't know if that's a record but it certainly feels like one. But I want to start with some really good coaching um by Matt LaFleur. So the Colts had a first and 10 at their own 48 after their first down play, 2.22 left in the game. And there's an offsides on Green Bay that sets up a first and five clock stops with 2.16 left. And Green Bay goes gets called for too many men on the field. Now, my son and I were watching this at the same time together, and, and Aikman and Buck had no idea. But my, my son goes to me, that's they did that intentionally, didn't they? I go, yep, they did it intentionally. And the reason is first and five, okay, with the clock stopped, or first and ten. Which would you prefer if you were Green Bay? Well, you'd prefer first and ten, not first and five. The clock is sitting there stopped, even though you're giving up five yards. You want first and ten, you don't want to give them the opportunity to get another first down. So that too many men on the field delay a game on their defense was intentional. Trust me. I don't know if it's been reported after the fact that it was intentional, and maybe Matt LaFleur won't even admit it because they don't they don't want teams to understand the strategy there, but that was good strategy. Anyway, then starts a, a process in which Indianapolis gets called for a holding penalty, a holding penalty, and a legal motion penalty – um, and then eventually, another holding penalty and another holding penalty on the same drive in an attempt to run the clock out now after they went for a fourth and four at green bay's thirty six with under two minutes to go, picked it up, and you would and everybody 's like well that 's ball game green bay didn 't get the stop but penalties stop the clock and don 't force the opponent to use a timeout. Indianapolis made a couple of errors. They threw the ball when they shouldn't have thrown the ball because running the ball would have given them a chance to force Green Bay to call more timeouts and would have would have given them the opportunity to get the clock to around a minute or slightly less than a minute. Green Bay holding no timeouts, maybe needing three, but instead, Green Bay ultimately got the ball back um, with uh, a minute 25 left, and they still had a timeout left. And Green Bay went down the field and had a chance to score a touchdown, kicked a game-tying field goal. Aaron Rodgers made a throw on that final Oh, my throw. gosh. <laughs> oh. That was unbelievable. A third and 10 th- throw to, to Valdez Scantling for 47 yards. It was just ridiculous. With three defenders, like, circling around him. Just an incredible throw. Um, they, uh, they, uh, unfortunately that same receiver Valdez Scantling, uh, fumbled in overtime, which set up the game winning field goal by Indianapolis and the Colts win. And, um, it was, it was, it was, it's an interest. It was an interest, really good, really good late day, you know, national TV game between the Packers and the Colts
2: are, are, are those Philip Rivers and Aaron Rodgers? I know Mahomes is fun to watch and Lamar Jackson has been fun to watch. But Rivers and Rodgers may be two of the most fun quarterbacks to watch if you're not emotionally invested in the game.
1: Well, you know me and my love for Phillip Rivers. He's been one of my favorites. He's a first ballot lock, in my opinion. We had this conversation recently. Um, He just – Bill Belichick said it several years ago. He said, Phillip Rivers and Peyton Manning are the all-time greatest quarterbacks. And, and most knowledgeable coaches on the field at the position, which was a bit of a knock to, at Brady, if, if you recall, when he said it. Um, they were getting ready to play the Chargers, I think. Um, and Rivers really is spectacular in his ability to to, to dice it up. Now, he'll take a, too many risks you know, at times, and it'll lead to some bad plays. But that's a good football team, Tommy. The Colts are a good football team. And it's going to be – they have a game against the Titans this weekend for first place. It would also – it would put the Colts a game up on them. It would also be the sweep of the Titans. And, you know, now you look at um, the AFC standings, and they've got a chance to be like the two seed. You know, they were – I mean, imagine the Chiefs had lost last night. But they've got a chance to make a run and and have, you know – be the two seed. Now in the playoffs this year, only one team gets a first round bye because there's seven now in each conference. But, um, in the chiefs are the favorite to, to, to uh, the Steelers are the favorite to be that actually, what am I talking about? The, the Colts can be the three seed, um, because the Steelers are 10 and zero and the chiefs are nine and one, but I wouldn't want to play that team in a postseason game. They're very capable, but the chiefs and the Steelers are really, they've separated themselves a little bit. um, There was one other game that I wanted to mention. Oh, real quickly, the um, Minnesota game, Dallas game. Uh, Because, you know, um, it's always fun when Kirk has a drive to tie the game at the end, Tommy, and they don't come through. It's always fun to look at my Twitter account. (laughs) 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 and and yesterday was yesterday was so typical you know um he was 22 of 30 for 314 yards and three touchdowns um he literally was unstoppable as was their offense especially in the second half but they could not get off the field dallas carved them up Um, And every time, you know, Kirk answered, Dallas came back down the field and answered. And then on the final drive after Dallas had taken the lead um, on an 11-play, you know, 61-yard drive to take the lead 31-28, he gets the ball back. It's a minute 37 left. Um, there was one tweet in particular. Several of them usually read something like, "I can't wait to hear you defend Kirk Cousins tomorrow." Well, dudes uh, and gals, uh, if any of them, were, any of you were female, that 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 came after me. If you watched the game or if you knew anything about the game, even the most critical of Vikings fans of Kirk Cousins would tell you how great he was yesterday. And on the final drive, Cousins hits Justin Jefferson, who may be the offensive rookie of the year, or he's going to be in the running with obviously Burrow and Herbert. Um, right. He hits him over the middle with plenty of field. Would have been a fifteen to twenty yard, uh, you know, first down chain moving play, and Jefferson just. Drops the ball. Then on third and six, he's got Thielen, and Thielen may have been interfered with. They didn't call it. By the way, in the drive before that, Thielen was held, they didn't call it. Um, and 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 Zimmer was very upset with the officiating afterwards. It just seemed that every call went their way. And then on fourth down, they didn't pick up the blitz, and he ended up throwing up throwing the ball deep, incomplete. But if anybody understands anything about the game yesterday, there isn't even one Kirk Cousins Minnesota Vikings-hating fan that would even single him out as a reason that they lost that game. He's actually been very good um, during their stretch. I thought that was going to be a tough game for them. Um, I actually like the – do you know that in the smell test, I am now 6-0 and on Vikings-related games, either going against them or with them. And I think I am going to like them on Sunday against the Panthers. They still have a chance to get back into it. They're very good offensively. Defensively, they've been hit and miss. That's been their problem. And they were missing one of their best offensive linemen. And Dallas is fast up front. I'm just telling you, that's going to be a problem for Washington on Thursday. The ball's going to have to be out quickly. And they're going to have to take advantage of some of the DB problems uh, that Dallas has. But anyway... um, If you saw the game and you actually, for a moment, think they lost that game because Kirk Cousins um, lost it for them, uh, you're really really reaching. That wasn't the issue. They've lost some games this year because of Kirk Cousins, not yesterday. Um, All right. You want everybody to know about something on Saturday night. What is it?
2: Well, you've got this bizarre circus event on Saturday night that all of a sudden this week, people are going to wake up and realize is happening and say, are you kidding me? (laughs) mike tyson is fighting roy jones on pay-per-view saturday night no chance i buy that well good that's good are you are you gonna no, buy it I'm not, I'm not gonna buy it okay even though i am curious about it now it's billed as an exhibition and i'm not quite sure how i've never been quite sure how these exhibitions work as if, you know, I, I mean, basically, is it a sparring session? Will it be a sparring session that gets out of control? Uh, you know, I'm not quite sure what will happen. Mike Tyson is 54 and Roy Jones is 51. And everyone's excited about it because they keep seeing these Mike Tyson videos of him you know, punching uh, his trainer with the, with the, with the, with the, you know, the mitts. And he looks unbelievably explosive. He's, he looks, he's, he's cut like, like he's never been before. He looks like in great physical shape and his punches sound like they would, they would crush a dinosaur when, when they're, when they're hitting a bag or hitting the mitts. But see, I saw Mike Tyson in his last couple of fights uh, back, you know, 15 years ago, 18 years ago. And uh, I saw him get beat by Danny Williams, uh, who nobody ever heard of in four rounds, and then get beat in eight rounds, I think, by Kevin McBride at the then MCI Center. So anyone who's foolish enough to buy this, you get what you deserve. And Tyson's talking about fighting some more, if this goes Mm -hmm. well yeah i have no no interest at all yeah i mean don't waste your money it'll it'll be on the highlights will be on espn it's uh i I don't want to say it's a sad state of boxing because boxing has always had its circus type of events i mean throughout throughout history
1: would you say that mayweather versus mcgregor was a circus like event oh
2: well no that was a fraud that was an outright fraud. Because
1: it was actually exciting. I bought that. Oh my <laughs> I did god! Buy what a fraud I that I did. I did buy that one, and I thought it was that, exciting.
2: Why? I mean, Floyd was laughing all the the whole night. I um, mean, it was it was unbelievable. I, I, I'm telling you, it, it's the biggest fraud I've seen perpetrated on the American public, and and they made a ton of money between the two of them. They made a hundred million dollars. Right. And, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, this shows you the state of this shows you the state of boxing. New Yorker magazine, uh, you know, covered it. And New Yorker with David Remnick as the editor, who supposedly is a boxing expert. You know, they send this bozo out to cover the fu- cover this fu- event, and he writes about it like it's Ali Fraser. Woman. Oh, that's ridiculous! It was a joke.
1: Uh, that, was see, a you joke. ought to write a column about his column? I did. Oh, you did. Oh, I did. <laughs> okay.
2: Him and the, him and the Sports Illustrated guy. Yeah. I ripped the I ripped the crap out of him. I said it was embarrassing. That that gets me worked up. This I mean, this is this is just a circus act, but that was an outright fraud.
1: Can we end um talking about some of our friends who were laid off on Friday? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um some of you may have heard me t- talk about this on radio this morning. On Friday, um, I guess the hazards of the media business, but uh, you know, I said that this morning and then I thought to myself real quickly, actually, so many of you have been a part of businesses, especially over the last eight months, and you felt the sting of layoffs, whether directly or indirectly. But three people who Tommy and I have worked with and for, at 980, um, for the better part, uh, for me, um, over the last 17 years. God, I don't know when you first appeared with Andy and Zabe on 980, what year that was. I think it was 99. So, the, for, so for you, 21 years yeah. um, with with experience uh, at the station. Um, many of you know this already, but but Chris Johnson, CJ, and then Doc Walker and Scott Lynn were all laid off um, as part of... An acquisition, uh, we at 980 were owned by Urban One, who had purchased us two years ago from uh, from Red Zebra, which was the company that Dan Snyder was a part of, and um, we, we were acquired the other day by Entercom. Entercom's a huge radio uh, company and very much into sports radio, which actually... Uh, may signal a new day, and maybe even a better day. But but that doesn't. And, and I work for Entercom. And Tommy's worked for Entercom because they own 106.7, the fans. Yes, um, you know. We've been sold and acquired before. We, you, and I have both been in businesses that have been sold and acquired before. It, as I mentioned, it happened two years ago when when Urban One bought Red Zebra, Zebra. It happens a lot in radio, so when you get acquired, it's not that unusual at all that there are casualties. Look, two years ago when Urban One purchased uh you know uh, 980 from Red Zebra I was a casualty you know it was more of a of a situation where they wanted me to stay for a massive pay cut but when you ask somebody to stay for a massive pay cut basically you're a casualty but anyway back to the people that matter um that I want to talk about CJ Doc and Scott Lynn were a part of 980 I mean nearly from the jump all three of them had been there since the early to mid 90s you know um they were so much a part of the fabric of the C, uh, of the station cj is a close friend of mine and always will be and was a close friend to a lot of us he was our program director for the better part of the last 20 something years um or the assistant program director and there were periods where he were he was at other stations and then came back but i've always said this um First of all, he has really good instincts for what we did, for what sports radio um, is in this town. And when the owners of the company that he was working for actually paid attention to him, which they didn't always do, especially recently. I mean, it's it's always interesting to me that the people who know the least act as if they've got all the answers instead of relying on people that actually have the answers. Um, but when they did listen to CJ, which, again, didn't happen a lot in recent years, we were always better off. He... Was such an advocate and a supporter of mine. He's been my producer on the morning show on 980 for the last seven months because we had to scale back, um, you know, during the pandemic. You know, Greg Huff was laid off, which really hurt. Um, but CJ's always been like such a go-to for me um, to have conversations, which have always led to really good ideas for the show, whether it's the podcast or the radio show. Um, and, uh, you know, we always say, Tommy, when this happens, you know, wouldn't be surprised if we all ended up working together again down the road. So it's not forever. And that's probably true. Um, but you know, we're all getting up there a little bit now, you know? Um, but you don't have to tell me that I know, but, um, doc, I mean, let me just put it this way. I don't think that anybody at the station over the course of my 17 years there, your 21 years there, anybody else's 20 plus years made us laugh and smile both on the air and off it more than Doc did.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: You know, I I think about, Tommy, all of the bullpen, you know, sessions, especially in Rockville, but in Silver Spring a little bit too, the old Silver Spring on Brookville Road, and where Doc would just take over. I mean, some of those back in fourths were legendary he is still so imitated by many of us to this very day you know with love of course i have so many memories of doc because First of all, Doc and I worked a lot together. You know, I mean, we did a show together before Tommy and I became a show. I was working with Doc for a year and a half. It was after I'd done the show with Riggins and then the station got bought and whatever. And then Coach Thompson needed uh, and wanted Doc. So Doc ended up working with Coach Thompson. And then you and I ended up, you know, getting together for, you know, a long stretch. But um, I've got so many memories of Doc. Like I, I told this one earlier this morning. We did a show the day after the Steelers beat the Skins at FedEx Field on a Sunday night or Monday night football. I forget what it was. It was a night game. It was the game in 2008 where the Steeler fans came in, took over the stadium. The terrible towels were waving. The Steelers won the game. And it was really like the first time that we all had this sense of, whoa what just happened that that was a road game I was on the
2: field for that game it was for the the last 10 minutes of that game I saw that firsthand
1: the next day when we got in I don't know I don't think we even planned it but it just sort of It came, it happened organically. We both just referred to the game at Heinz Field the night before and how it's really hard to win a road game in Pittsburgh (laughs) and how, you know, look, they played well, but it's going to be really hard to, to win in Pittsburgh. It's just they're really good at home. And it was driving people crazy. And you know how it, <laughs> how Doc would do the, you know the serious thing, and then you know if you're in studio with him, Doc would laugh silently more than anybody. He would turn his mic off and start laughing. And um, we didn't carry this on for a day. We carried it on for. A couple of days and people were going nuts they were so frustrated they they would call in, what do you guys not know that the game was at FedEx Field last night? What is wrong with you and we're like, no, no no, come on did you watch the game? It was a road game the terrible tells the whole thing that was one memory um also it was one year and you would have been you know on with Andy and and Steve um, a couple of days a week. But it was the first year we didn't go to the Super Bowl. It was a budget thing, and then you and I went to the Super Bowl a bunch. And then remember we had to go alternate years, whatever. But this particular year it was the—I I remember the Super Bowl. It was the Pittsburgh, Arizona Super Bowl, and we—they're cutting back on the budget. Maybe Andy and Zabe went, but Doc and I didn't go. <clears throat> but we decided that we would act like we were there anyway. <laughs> And so for the entire week, and by the way, that's the easiest thing to pull off because my contention is, you know, I always thought, you know, you can almost act like you're at the Super Bowl in radio row and no one would ever know. And the bottom line is, is, is being there was okay, but it wasn't why necessarily people were listening, you know, uh, to you during the week. Doc and I, the entire week. Oh man, this Radio Row—it's really quiet today. Um, and then we talk about what 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 we did the night before in Tampa, and the good time that we're having, and and the entire week we acted like no one—I'm telling you—only a few people knew that we weren't at the Super Bowl that week. I, I what what I would say about Doc is that he's one of these people in such a positive way that when he's in the room everybody knows it. There's a larger than life quality about Doc and his personality. And it was just, it was always so great to be around it. I, I've, I have three boys, Tommy, as you know, and Doc got to know my three boys, especially my oldest, Casey, because when Doc and I were do, doing the show, Casey was a, a kid. I still, to this day, If ever work comes up in any conversation with any of my three boys, it is an absolute lock that one of them will say, hey, Dad, how's Doc doing? (laughs) They don't ask about anybody else. Sorry. They don't ask about Cooley. They don't ask about you. How's Doc doing? Because Doc had that, you know, that charisma. And that ability to make people um, remember him. And then let me just say this about Scotland, and then you can say um, you're, you, what you want to say about all the guys. Scotland is, and a lot of you know Scott from doing updates all those years and being a part of shows with Zabe in particular on their national show, on their local show. Scott is one of the kindest people and one of the best people, and maybe. I don't know that anybody was more well-liked in our building than Scott was. He's smart. He's quick. He's funny. Tommy, probably much funnier off the air than, you know, he was on it, you know, and even though it's funny on the air too. um, But versatile, reliable, could do anything, was always willing to do anything, um I, I he was 27 years at 980 scotland was my, that's remarkable I, he was always in my opinion at his best with zabe whether it was the national show or the local show with solly too um and uh it's just it it, it felt like friday felt like an odd day you know there have been times when people have come and gone and but there was an acquisition and it was an acquisition by a a bigger company that really is going to be focused on sports and you know Scott Lynn not being there after 27 years and Doc and and CJ you know I um I I uh I'm going to I'm going to miss you and I both love the office right do you remember the line from Andy Bernard in the f- in the finale and I, I'm going to screw this up so help me with it but it's the line where he says I wish somebody would tell you you're in the good old days before you leave them. And yeah. I and I feel like like there's this connection that we all had to each other at that station for so many long and, and by the way, the connection extended to the listeners. Um and it's feels like look the, the pandemic we haven't been together for eight months you and i haven't done a show together at the radio station for several years now but i think that there was that stage for six seven eight years where we were all in that same building we all hung out there was a bullpen i think some of the best co- content we ever did was off the air um, in the bullpen tommy had had a had a had an office that was basically a shrine built to himself Scott scotland's office was in the back corner next to CJ's where he had a couch where I can't tell you how many times you know I came in after my morning show or after the show with you lied down on the couch and you know sat there and and we solved the world's problems um I don't know these are friendships lifelong um the station's gonna miss CJ and Doc and Scott a lot but I don't know anyway that's it that's all I got I just I felt Friday afternoon and I told and I told Doc this because we didn't know what any of our fates would be. And look, for now, the station wants me. I don't know if they will in two weeks. It's radio. Who the hell knows? I'm so glad to have this podcast because I'll be able to do this for, you know, hopefully for at least the foreseeable future. But anyway, um, I just had this sense, and a lot of us did on Friday afternoon, um, that like a an era had sort of come to an end, you know? And I'm still on the station, and galdy's still on it, and B Mitch is still on it, and Zabe's still on it. But C J. and Doc and Scott, in so many ways, were um, you know such a big part of it, such a big part of it. Anyway, I felt um, I felt really sad about it on Friday. I was hoping everybody would survive and that we could continue on with the 980 format and the whole thing and the 980 format is for the time being I think going to be a big part of it and Entercom's a really good company they look our last owner they couldn't have cared less about Sports Talk Radio. They were such nice people, but they didn't know what to do with it. I'm not even sure why they bought it. Um, Red Zebra, it was an antagonistic relationship with the radio station <laughs> for some reason. None of us can still figure that out. Um, so there is clearly an owner that will have an interest in doing this the right way, and will know how to do it the right way, which will be helpful. But anyway, um, I uh, that's what I had to say about all three of them.
2: Well, I would echo everything you said about Scott Lynn and CJ. Uh I didn't work with uh either of them that often, even though I, I Scott was there the whole time I was there. Right. And you're right, was was absolutely hilarious off the air. Yeah. I mean, as cutting and uh, you know, he's got some he's got some family mob connections in Philadelphia. You know? <laughs> so he would always yeah. tell me some some of his Philly family stories that were always pretty interesting but the guy who means the most to me is doc i
1: know
2: i mean doc i mean here's doc played nine years in the nfl he played 119 games he never acted like that when you were with him never never not i mean he never acted like i was in the nfl and you're just a peon and you get that from a lot of guys right true doc never did that uh i can remember two moments in particular, I had a lot of fun nights with doc. Uh, He's a brother of the, uh, of the leaf. He loves his cigars too. But uh, once I was, uh, I was doing, uh, I was doing the show with doc uh, because I don't know why I was doing a show with doc. Maybe it was the sports reporters. uh, And uh, it was just me and doc. And we were out at Redskins at Redskins park. And, uh, I was always, I was always, my strength has always been as a passenger, not as the driver. And I had never done, you know, the, a show, like leading the show in and out of breaks and stuff like that. I remember Doc sitting there telling me, you take over the show today You're, and convincing me that I could do it and talking me through it and giving me the confidence I need. And if you've ever heard Doc at one of his pro view events,
1: you know, give it, give it, give it, give a pep talk. Oh yeah. You Motivational. Run through a wall. Right. Yeah.
2: You want to run through a wall for him. Right. So, I mean, I, I just, he, he's such a good guy to me. And there was one night in new Orleans that we will never forget that we can't speak of <laughs> uh, a lot, but will someday wind up being an ESPN 30 for 30. <laughs>
1: Um, Well, you know how Andy's always talked about writing the book, you know, which might have an audience of like six. Um, But there are a lot of stories, a lot of stories that would be very interesting. Yeah, Um, he's 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 a piece of work. I I mean, I I uh, you know I talked to him on Friday, and and I you know I don't know. I mean. Being referred to 17 times a week by Doc on any show that he was on as Coach (laughs) Sheehan over (laughs) the years. You know, I remember people would say, do you like that? Does it get old? And I'm like, I love it. And he better never stop. Um, Because being mentioned in any light, you know, in that medium is a good one. But it was always with the best of intentions because we really were – Um, You know, we were all very um, sort of connected uh, in, in many ways. And those guys, I mean, shit, I got there 17 years ago all right scotland's been there 27 years I cj know. got there in the mid-90s doc was there in the mid-90s zabe you know andy was there from the beginning obviously um uh you got there and started to do work for the station in 99 Goldie was an intern at the station in 99 scott jackson was there forever you know bram was there forever um it was uh it, it was it was kind of a it's kind of a cool thing to be a part of, to be honest with you. And and it was um it's a crazy business, but a lot of you are in crazy businesses too. Um, but it just uh I don't know, it was the Scott Lynn and Doc were constants. Like through every single iteration, owner or whatever, it was like, you know, they were gonna be there. And I'm going to miss that. That's not going to be the case, and with CJ the same as well, because he's in addition to um, being very talented and good at what he, you know, did. Um, he was uh, a really close friend, and um, he is still a close friend, and you know, a close friend to a lot of us, and a big supporter of a lot of us, a lot of us. I, I feel badly for him because ownership really does have a lot to do with the success of any business, you know, it starts at the top and this station, which has been a brand in the market, you know, for 27, 28 years, um, really has had sort of successive owners that didn't necessarily care much or, or know how to, how to do it. Um, even though again, the people at radio one couldn't have been nicer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so there you go. You got anything else?
2: I got nothing else, boss.
1: I will have Doc on the podcast, you know. um, Oh, yeah. I'm going to have Doc, you know, now more a little bit more here and there on the podcast. I'll have Scott, CJ, you know, when we can do it as well. Um, But, uh, you know. That's what happened for those of you that were interested. Uh, The company got bought, and there were layoffs. And there may be more coming. I don't know. I mean, this may be, in a few weeks, my only outlet. But I'm glad to have it. Um, And I'm glad to have all of you who are listening to it. Uh, If you are listening to it, rate us, review us, subscribe in particular. Really important that you subscribe. Really helps us out. Uh, have a happy Thanksgiving, Tommy. We won't do a show on Thursday, so Tommy won't be here on Thursday, but have a happy Thanksgiving and I will talk to you next week.
2: Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.